Good morning. Hope you guys are doing well. I miss you. I'm looking forward to uh, getting to hang out with you guys again. We don't know when this all this is going to wrap up. We know uh, if you've been watching the news, they're kind of making some plans on when to get things back rolling again. Uh, don't know how that's going to affect Louisiana, but just want you guys to know that we're paying attention and that as soon as we can get together and it be safe, we're going to do so. But in the meantime, we're going to continue on with, with how we're doing things. I don't know about you guys, but I've been really blessed by been able to worship with you guys with Kobe on Sunday mornings. It's been really, really good. So Kobe, we appreciate you doing that. Uh, I record in advance just because um, I have five children that are really loud. And I think this is uh, probably the best way to deliver this to you guys. So we're going to jump in this morning. We're going to pick up um, where we left off last week. We're going to last week we looked at Ecclesiastes 2 verses 12 through 17. So we're going to pick up in verse 18 and go through the end of chapter 2 today. Um, but last week when we looked at 12 through 17, uh, we talked about how you and I are born under the consequences of Adam and Eve's disobedience, right? That as a result of their decision, we're born separated from God. And because of that, there's this longing in our souls to be reunited with him. You know, we were created to live in relationship with him. And because we're born outside of that relationship, it's just inherent in us that they there's this feeling that something's missing. And a lot of times we know this through our own experiences that we don't recognize that longing for what it is. And so we spend a lot of our time and our lives searching for um, this thing that's missing. We don't always know what it is, but we look everywhere trying to find that someone or that something that's going to make us feel whole again. And obviously the author of Ecclesiastes uh, also felt that longing because of his his inherited wealth, if he is the son of David, as we think he maybe is. Um, but he literally spends his whole life seeking um, and looking and, and taking advantage of all the best that the world had to offer, whether it was wisdom or pleasures of the world. He spends all his time doing that. And at the end of it all, he realizes that he's still not fulfilled. And I know that we can certainly identify with that, especially uh, all of us having to be at home all this time. You know, all the things that we typically rely on in the evenings for entertainment or, or busy work or whatever you want to call it. A lot of those things um, are not fun anymore. You know, if you've got a subscription to Netflix and you've watched everything that you can find interesting and the only thing left is to watch about a guy named Joe Exotic, you know, you're kind of really at the bottom of the bucket. I don't know. I'm making a joke because I haven't seen the show, but it looks terrible. Um, but I want us to I want us to, to understand this is is that. What we're going to read today is going to speak directly into where we are right now. And so as we begin this morning, I just just take a moment and ask the Lord to, to just open your heart and your mind to receive his word today. And I also wanted to say um, before we dig in that today our text, if you've read ahead, you know that it's going to talk about work. And I want you guys that, that are affected by this uh, stay-at-home order and not able to work, I want you to know that you've been on my heart and my mind this week, especially Saturday as I've prepared. I've been praying for you guys. Um, and I want to mention that because I don't want there to be some perceived callousness on my part that here Willie is talking about work and there are some that can't. Uh, but today's passage, uh, whether uh, you know, you're able to work or not, is going to apply to your life. Um, you can apply this once you go back to work. But for me, as I read this passage, it's not just about the vocation that I have, but it's also about the rest of work that is involved with in life. You know, here on the farm, we call it chores. Uh, I don't know what you may call it at home, but, you know, like the paying bills and the doing laundry and cooking and cleaning and all of those things, all of this stuff that we're going to talk about today can apply to that as well. So my hope for all of us today is that we're going to gain a new perspective on what it means to work and and also to have a renewed sense of purpose in the work that God's called us to. You know, for me, I'm a father and God's called me to that. 
And I want to have a fresh perspective regularly on what it means to be a great dad. And so for you, whatever your life looks like, if you're married, if you're single, if you have kids, if you don't have kids, God's called you to be where you are right now. And so I want us to have a renewed sense of purpose in the things that God has for us, even if we're stuck at home. So today we're going to jump into Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We're going to read verses 18 through 26. I'm going to do my best to click the slides correctly, so bear with me, have patience, and a little bit of grace if I screw that up, because it's a lot to um, to try to read the passage and stay engaged in it and scroll the mouse wheel on this side and click the button on this side. It's a lot, so <laughs> I'm, I'm a multitasker with two things. Three is, is pushing it. It's asking a lot, so let's dig in today. Uh, we're going to start at verse 18. Read along with me, okay? I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? Yet he will be a master of all which I toiled and use my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is a vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat and have enjoyment? For the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is a vanity and a striving after the wind. Okay, so for me, the million-dollar question as I'm, as I'm reading this, or, or not the, I don't know, million-dollar question, we'll go with that, is what's the purpose of our work, right? Like, why do we do it? Is it to gain something for ourselves? Is it just to get all the things done? I'm a task-oriented guy, and so there's a lot of fulfillment for me when I click things off my list. I have a lot of lists, by the way. I got apps, different apps for different lists. I mean, it's, it's nuts. But for me, that really is a good motivator. Is it just to, to store up things for later? Is it about building a big retirement? Is it just to pay the bills? I was thinking about this passage um, this week, and, and because of the activities of this week, and I'll break that down for you in a minute, it really had me thinking back to the Garden of Eden. Obviously, we've talked a lot about how uh, the author is always pointing us back there. But I thought about my four older kids in particular and their absolute love for green beans. Okay, I know that sounds weird, but just hear me out, Okay. As many of you guys know, we used to have um, a massive garden, right? We had this big high tunnel next to our house, but um, once Bethany became pregnant with Charlie, the smell of tomatoes made her nauseated, um, and so we just had to stop doing it. And then we got cancer, and you guys know all those stories, but it's probably been four or maybe more years since we've really um, done much gardening at all. Um, prior to that, Bethany and our four older kids worked in the garden every day, and they absolutely their favorite thing to grow was green beans, okay? The kids love growing them, they love picking them, they love snapping them, and then they also like to eat them, right? 
And I know um, that those of you who don't like vegetables or have kids that refuse to eat them uh, may find that hard to believe. Um, but these beans were special though, right? They were planted, they were tended, they were watched with anticipation as they grew, and then the kids got to harvest them and clean them and snap them, and then we cooked them, right? And after all that hard work, they got to enjoy these really fresh, incredibly flavorful green beans. If you were like me and you grew up on canned green beans, like you can't even begin to imagine how much better fresh green beans are, okay? If you haven't had fresh green beans, next time you get to go to the grocery store, buy some. Or you can plant some in the garden. Take 60 days, okay? Uh, with all that said, were the beans good enough for them to spend nearly every day for two months that it takes for them to mature and caring for them? Were they good enough to hold their, their attention and daily motivate them to go out there? Probably not. And I, I say that just because I know kids' attention spans is not that long, right? Obviously, their mom every day was like, hey, let's go out here and we're going to take care of the garden. But why then do they enjoy it so much, right? Like we've been talking about it recently, and we started talking about planting a garden a couple of weeks ago, and immediately the older kids were like, can we do green beans? I think as I've thought about this and, and I've asked myself why, because they're, they're good, right? But they're not, they're not like a steak, you know, that's, that's for me, if the best of the best, a really nice steak is what I'm going for. I think they enjoy it so much because they're designed for it, right? Like, think about it. God created us to live and work in a garden, right? Our job in the garden, our original intent was to, to tend this garden and enjoy the fruit of it. Remember, God puts Adam in charge of all of it, right? Bethy and I um, have spent the last several nights um, at her parents' house this week, socially distanced, of course, but working on uh, tilling up and planting a garden for them. We did the same at our house about a week ago. And you know what? Like, it's really hard, but we love it. Bethany and I will work, or Bethany, I'm working um, at my job, but Bethany will work in that garden all day long. But nearly every evening after we get the kids in the bed, she and I go out and we walk through the garden with flashlights, like some little creepers creeping on our green beans. Um, but we're looking at the growth that's happened. We're, we're examining um, what's going on, what needs to be fixed, what needs to be better, and just talking. And, um, you know, it's just, it's a really, it's a really great time of day for us. And and it's not some kind of like super spiritual, like we're walking in the garden kind of thing. You know, that's not where my mind's going. But but I will say that there's this really interesting feeling of, of peace and satisfaction that comes from watching these little plants grow and knowing that God is the one that's really making that happening. Like we're working the soil, we're making sure they're getting watered, we're pulling the weeds out, all of those things. But ultimately, like we have no control over the growth of those plants. And again, I, I think that that sense of satisfaction that comes from that is because we're wired for it, right? Like gardening is really hard work, but it's for me anyway, and I know for Bethany, it's so satisfying. And it's not just the harvesting part of it. Like we're not doing all of that just so that we can get something out of it at the end. It's it's the whole part. It's the process. Um, and as I've thought through why we do this, I think it's because that process is really good for us. And one of, the first point I want to make today is that, that our work is not simply a means to an end, right? And I know that we've heard things like that before, but in our passage today, the author starts um, with this tone of, of despair because he's been working towards a goal, right? And he's accomplished a lot of those goals, but he's found that, that um, as we've read already, that at the end of, of accomplishing those goals, still it felt like something was missing. Look at me again at verse 18 and 19. It says, I hated all my toil 
in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? Yet he will be master of all which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. You know, as we've discussed... Oh, what did I do there? I don't know. We'll keep going. Oh, that's the next one. Okay, sorry. As we've discussed at length so far, the author makes this point often to remind us of the temporariness of life, right? Here again, he mentions it, and he brings with it the fact that he may work his entire life to gain um, for himself all this stuff, like he's enjoying all that the world has to offer, and then at the end of the day, when he dies, he leaves it to someone else. And who knows what that other person is going to do with it, right? Many in our church, um, because of their age, are not thinking about what's to come after after work or after, uh, you know, during the retirement years or things like that. And, and if you haven't thought about those things yet, you will one day. Okay, so just plug this in the back of your brain for later, but pay attention for today as well. Okay, but there are others, others of us that are thinking about the future. We're thinking about retirement. We're thinking about what we're going to have left when we're gone and what's going to happen with that and who we're going to give it to and those kinds of things. But regardless of where you find yourself on that spectrum, the fact remains that all of us will eventually need to think about those things, right? And the decision that we make today about how we work will have an impact on the quality of our lives both today and in the future, okay? And my hope is that today as we study this passage that the Spirit will define for you what, what this word quality means because it's not um, the way we culturally would typically think about that, okay? Our culture is obsessed with gaining stuff and making sure that we've earned and saved enough so that we can retire early and, you know, enjoy life. But like so many other things in our culture, it's such a sad trap. It's sad because we toil away now, wasting our time for a future hope that, that may never be realized. Like, we're not promised tomorrow. So, if I work and save every little penny I can for one day in the future and then I pass away, the author would say it's hevel, right? It's vanity. I read this in one of my commentaries this week, and I wanted to share it with you guys. I don't have it on the screen, but it'll be in your notes if you look in the Faith Life app. It says this, People develop idolatrous expectations of life by ignoring or discounting death. Death is, is an inescapable, inescapable message from God, and it is not good news. While this seems obvious, it is resisted. Many commonly attempt to escape the real implications of death by claiming that one's work will be carried on or enjoyed by someone else. However, what happens after death is completely outside of our control. I must leave it to a man who will come after me and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. That's verses 18 and 19. Says um, Solomon, who this author believes, uh, or of this commentary believes, is, is the author of the book, rejects all false hope, all idolatry that would evade the vapors, vaporous nature of life when it comes to man's labor. Labor. Okay, so he's pointing out that we make our legacy an idol, right? Our legacy is what we've worked for our whole life, what we want to be remembered for, the things that we want to leave behind. We spend our lives working and building and accumulating so that we'll be remembered or so that someone else can pick up where we left off. And in doing so, we make ourselves, we make our work an idol because it's all about us. The author of the commentary goes on to say that, he says, what if we regarded our labors and temporary fruits we sometimes enjoy from them, not as a means of power, but rather as gracious gifts? 
Solomon reminds the believer that a man's work is a gift from God, and that's out of verse 24, and we'll look at that in a minute. He says, as long as he does not attempt to misuse work to transform his God-given activities into a means of leveraging God and his creation for his own purposes. So let me ask you this. What if the work that God's called us to was not, or, or was, excuse me, what if the work that God called us to was for the sake of the work, right? What if God called us, and, and his call is not only about what we're going to get from it, but also what he's going to do in us and in the lives of the people around us? God created us for working and tending his creation. And, and when we can not only realize that, but adjust our lives in such a way that we can enjoy what we're doing, we're going to experience real satisfaction. So here's the million dollar question. Okay, another one. Are you leveraging your job and your career for your own gain or for the sake of God's kingdom? Okay, let's get even more personal for a moment. Whether you're working right now or not able to work, are you making this quarantine about you or about God? The focus and the purpose that we give our work or our rest will determine how we approach it. If we're walking obedience in obedience to God and abiding as we work or as we rest, we can be confident that it's going to have a lasting effect. We talked about a couple of weeks ago that if what we're doing is an obedience to God, it is eternal, not because of what it is, but because of who has ordained it, right? And it's not because we've done a really good job, but it's because God's purposes are everlasting. In verses 20 through 23 of Ecclesiastes chapter 2, it says this, So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This is also vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. The preacher here is in despair because he's come to the realization that all that he has worked for is going to be left to someone else. And that may, for you, like if you put yourself in that position, that may you know, make you feel really good about yourself. But for him, where he is in this moment, it doesn't feel great. It's because like, look, I've, I've, I've worked for all of this. Like he wants credit for it. He wants to be able to enjoy it himself. All the wisdom that he's gained is going to die with him. Like he can share that with somebody, but he has no control over whether or not they use it, right? He can pass what he has on to others, but once he's gone, he's powerless to enforce any of the wishes that he had for those items. I'm reminded as I, as I go through this about a song um, by Shane and Shane that came out on the Psalms 2 album a few years back. It's called Take Over, and we've sung this at church a lot, but the bridge has always stood out to me. It says, what am I supposed to do with all my kingdoms next to you? You're the Lord. I could gain the world and more, and it's all nothing next to you my reward. Then he says, take over. Lover of my soul, take control. I surrender. There's nothing more that I want than to know you, Lord. Okay. We have the option of being like the preacher and spending our lives building up our own kingdoms, but we're going to find out the same thing that he did. We're going to experience sorrow because we're going to realize that our kingdoms are nothing compared to God. If we consider all that the preacher has been saying about building up his kingdom and compare that to the richness of knowing Christ, 
we're going to see that there's far more to gain in abiding in Him than there is in just gathering stuff around us. The preacher goes on to encourage us to enjoy the simple gift of enjoying God. Okay, so point number two I want to make today is that we are created not to hunger and thirst, but to be satisfied, right? Like we talked earlier in the beginning of this about how we are created in the lineage of, of Adam and because of his disobedience, there's this longing in our soul, but that was not God's intent. God did not intend for us to be born so that we had to work the ground. God's intent for us was to just live in this beautiful paradise that he created. And, and yes, there was going to be some tending, but not the thistles and the thorns that we deal with now, right? I think that sometimes we decide that we're just meant to feel like we'll never find fulfillment, right? The enemy then comes in and he slips in there and he convinces us that that's all there is to life, especially right now while we're staying at home. Look with me at, at the truth that the author gives to us, though, about our lives. This is starting in verse 24, going through 26. He says, There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For the one who pleases God has given, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to the one who pleases God. This is also a vanity and a striving after the wind. Did you notice here that, that God is pointing forward to Christ in this passage? Look at verse 24 again. He says, Nothing is better for a person than eating, drinking, and finding Enjoy, or in finding enjoyment in his toil. If you look at that passage in your Bible, you're going to notice that there's a little note there. And if you follow where that, that note leads to, it's going to point you to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 7. And we read this when we went through um, the, the, I think we did. No, I used to sit a wedding. Okay. But it says this. It says, Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Okay. So eating bread and drinking wine. Where have we heard that before? Oh yeah, we talked about it last week. Remember we did the Lord's Supper? I love the imagery that's happening here, right? So the preacher is showing us what we're created for. He's saying that our, our greatest joy, the best there is for man, is to eat and drink, right? We were created by God to be in a relationship with Him. God created our bodies. Think about this. God created our bodies to require food and drink. And then He created us, He made us, and placed us in this incredible garden for us to live so that all of those needs of eating and drinking would be met. He didn't create us to hunger and thirst only. He created us to require those things, but then he, he gave them to us. He said, look, I've made you and I love you and here's everything that you need. After chasing all that the world has had to offer, we see the author come full circle, right? The preacher's telling us that our greatest fulfillment is enjoying bread and wine. Like, are, are you seeing this? Like, what we need to actually enjoy life is to eat and drink. And think about this, okay? I, I want to make sure you're seeing this imagery because Jesus shows up centuries later and guess what he says he is? He says, I'm the bread of life. Look with me at John chapter 6, verse 22 through 40. I know this is long, but, but just hang in there with me on this, okay? He says, On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. 
For the other, uh, other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So then the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples. They themselves got in the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Make sure I'm on the right one. Yeah. But for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has sent his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who has sent, who he, whom he has sent. So they said to them, What then what sign do you do? that we may see and believe you. What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will, can, will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on that last day. So the last point I want to make today is that God will provide all that we need. Look, I'm not going to lie to you. When I was prepping for this, and, and the Lord pointed me to this passage, and I began to read it, it literally brought me to tears. And that's that's really saying a lot, okay? And here's why it did. I don't know where you are spiritually or emotionally right now, but but I, I, this is what I felt like the Spirit was saying to me. Okay, And I want you to hear this. I want you to really hear it. Wherever you are, if you're struggling, God wants you to know that He is with you. And whatever you need, He can take care of. Whatever problems there are in your life, whatever longing there is, he can satisfy it. Look with me again. I didn't put it on the screen, but look at verse 27 again. He says, Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which is the Son of Man, uh, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Look, Jesus and the preacher are saying the same thing. Our hope, our satisfaction, our very life is not found in what we do or don't do. All of those things are found in what the Father has provided, what He is providing, and what He will continue to provide. Apart from God, we have nothing. But with God, we, we have everything we need, just like back in the garden. Even though we don't live there anymore, every need that we have, the Father can provide for us. Church, 
What an incredible message that is for our broken world right now. Look, I've been so appreciative the last couple of weeks. Glenn has done an awesome job of reminding us to just daily pursue the Lord. Just do that. Look, if you're struggling with that, please understand that this is not just a task to be completed, right? I want you to understand that that God desires you, right? He wants to spend time with you because he loves you. He created you. Run to him. Allow the creator to love you in the way that only he can. Don't, don't try to fill that void with, with um, social media or new recipes or creative activities for you and your family. All of that's going to leave you empty and wanting more. Look, God has provided what we needed through the, the death and resurrection of his son. Jesus says he is the bread of life and he has provided the, the eternal, the spiritual thing that we needed but he also is going to provide for the physical things that we need. And I don't know how he's going to do that for you. If you're struggling right now and there are needs in your life, share those with your life group. Talk to God about it. Let him know that you're aware of those problems and have some conversation. and Let him speak into those things. Look, God provided from Adam and Eve exactly what they needed when they were in the garden. God provided manna for the Israelites when they were in the desert. Okay? He provided loaves and fish for those that were hungry as he was sharing the gospel. And if we will seek him, if we will spend time with him, if we will abide with him, we will never hunger and thirst because he's going to provide for our every need. Church, I love you so much and, and I cannot wait until we can physically be together again and I can hug your necks. But I want you to know this, even though we're distanced. I love you, but more importantly, God loves you. Right where you are, it doesn't matter if you've had a horrible week and you got mad and yelled at your kids or, or whatever you think you might have done that could have separated you from God. Nothing can. God loves you. He's going to provide for you and just wants to be with you. Spend some time with him this week. Let him speak truth into your life. I love you, and I'll see you guys next week. Bye.